Hey guys, this is Tristan with Cairo Sushi, and I'm excited to have one of our first guests for our podcast for the entrepreneurial chiropractor, uh, Mr. John Kim, who um, I always tell people, sometimes in stories and sometimes outside of uh, the content land or content sphere of Cairo Sushi, that I have three mentors, my father, uh, a transgender, um, former uh, coit uh, employee in San Francisco, and then John Kim. There's three voices I hear in my head, and all three voices sometimes uh, I want to choke. Uh, but I, 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 I lovingly say without those voices in my head, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I wouldn't get to where I'm going tomorrow. And so I want to introduce John Kim, who's going to share a little bit about his story as an entrepreneur, and we're going to dive deep into uh, what uh, what he thinks uh, healthcare professional entrepreneurs should be doing for their business. So, uh, hey, John, say hi to everyone. Well, thanks for having me, T. It's uh, definitely an honor. And I'm, I'm glad to be amongst the ranks of a, uh, of a wise transvestite and uh, another doctor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, so, so tell a little bit about your, 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 your first startup you had. Or, or one of, you know, actually, let's go back in time because you grew up in a in a, a family that was was small business owners, and how did that um, how did that build the entrepreneur in John Kim? Let's start there. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, my parents uh, emigrated here to the United States from South Korea, and uh, I grew up in a series of small businesses. One of which was a liquor store on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, whenever it got robbed, it didn't matter if it was a school night or not. My dad would wake me up and my brother stand out of bed. We'd hop into the station wagon. We'd drive 45 minutes from Manhattan Beach. And, uh, you know, our night manager would be there crying, and there'd be the board police officer taking notes. And my father would always say, John, Stan, look around. This is all going to be yours one day if you don't get an education, you know. And and back then, my dad really was obsessed about me being a doctor, right? Big surprise, Asian father wants his son to be a doctor. And, you know, where we are now is so fascinating to me because the most successful doctors that I know, and certainly from my second startup, Doctor Base, uh, which is now a part of the Cario family, uh, after having serviced so many thousands of, I think by the time we left, 13,000 independent medical practices, I've seen the most mm-hmm. successful doctors are entrepreneurs. And that's a big change from when my dad was envisioning what a doctor would be. Right. What, um, what, let's, go, let's go before doctor base because we're going to dive into that together a little bit. And, and I'm going to throw some questions at you from our days of, of building that. Your, your first startup was 5.9, correct? Can you tell a little bit about what you did there and how that started? Yeah. Um, after grad school, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and it was during the first dot-com bubble, and, you know, everyone was day trading, including myself. So I decided to take a clerk job at a brokerage, and they gave us about two weeks of training in a call center. And uh, our call center manager was kind of your typical type A, uh, if you can imagine, uh, imagine a a call center warlord, you know, that uh, is that yeah. thief, uh, thiefdom was like his empire. Um, and he kept mentioning how much call center software we were using cost. And, uh, you know, it was a abhorrently expensive system. And when I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur, I didn't have any ideas. All I knew is I wanted to get into the software because that, that seemed like it was the, 
most accessible thing to get into tech. Like, how could I build a hardware company, right? And what was the only piece of software that I knew was this thing that I was told was abhorrently expensive, but I thought kind of sucked. And so my friend, uh, who was my college roommate at uh, university, actually had gone out to work for Cisco and was actually an engineer in their call center division. So we, uh, we decided that we were going to you know, quit our jobs and build this company. And long story short, he ended up not quitting Cisco. Uh, I, I ended up quitting my job in the brokerage firm. And, um, you know, uh, in a 10-year overnight success story, we took that company public on the NASDAQ stock market a couple of years ago, which was uh, a really great event. But, um, you know, it was really the product of really just uh, not really – knowing what business you wanted to be, but just knowing where you wanted to be in life as, as a person, right? Not just with money, but in terms of your legacy, uh, what you wanted to do each day, the kind of empowerment and freedom and flexibility you wanted to have as an entrepreneur. Um, so I really started 5.9, not really because I wanted to be in the call center or even the software business, but because I wanted those things that I think, you know, anyone that, that starts a small business um, wants, right? And so I wanted to end product, not actually the product I was building. Oh yeah, what? Hey, what is that? You know, let, let's 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 see the audience with what it because I think it's inspiring. Um, I, the amount of people that can make it to the NBA draft, right? It's probably the same ratio of the people that can build a company that goes public. When that when five nine went public, uh, what was it a year and a half ago or a year ago, Bill? Yeah, a couple of years ago, I believe. A couple of years. What did that feel like, dude? Well, you know, the the process of going public is so painful. So I I've done two startups now. I've been extremely lucky to have a great team, and you know, I get to kind of swoop in and take credit for their work. Again, just like any great uh, small to medium-sized business, you have to have a great staff, right? And of course, Tristan, you know this mm-hmm. better than most. But, you know, having taken a company uh, private and having built a publicly traded company, um, they're both such different paths. I mean, I, I would say they're both painful, but um, definitely the public company route, it's not for everyone. And, you know, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with uh, taking five years to build a company that has 10, 20 employees, or in the case of some of my more successful doctors, they may have a few locations, they may have 20, 25 employees, um, they're mm-hmm. taking home a low seven-figure uh, annual salary, they have, you know, great staff that gives them somewhat as much as an entrepreneur can have a, a work-life balance with a family. Um, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think whether you take a company public or you just grow um, a private medical brand with a growing amount of branch locations, uh, growing amount of staff, growing amount of top-line revenue, um, I mean, those are both equally great things. Hey, when we were, we used to share stories with me when I, when we, when we joined up together at DoctorBase about, you know, you and me, Tristan, aren't the type of people that will last long once a company is going to get acquired. Could you share more about, do you remember telling me that? 
Oh, yeah. I see it with my doctors, too, right? I mean, um, you know, I have doctors that sell their practices, and um, they think that uh, they're going to survive in the mothership because now suddenly they have three weeks of vacation. They don't have to manage payroll anymore. And I'll tell you, a lot of the time I see those doctors quit. Um, the joke, you know, in some markets, as you know, Tristan, is, you know, doctors have sold their practice, you know, twice, right? Because yeah. um, they just, you know, end up opening up another shop again. And I think the entrepreneur's mentality is, one, if we're honest with ourselves, we like control, right? We like to control our own destiny. And being part of a larger shop, you don't really get to do that. And I think part of what makes entrepreneurs tick is more than money. Because, you know, once you have the house, once you have the cars, once you have the zeros in your bank account, you still crave to to win, right? And, yeah. you know, yeah. suddenly, you know, retiring early kind of loses its appeal after a while. And certainly, you know, working for the mothership that acquired you, you know, it, it can be challenging because you want you want control of your destiny again. Yeah. Um, one of the things, and so I was going to throw some, some JK-isms and, and, uh, at you because I collected them over the years. And, um, you know, so much of your wisdom that I don't think you would even say is wisdom, but it, it truly is. <laughs> um, there's some sayings that you had, and I want to bring up some of those sayings because, um, one, you could say them and it could come off very authentic. Um, but I want to dive into them. And so you might not remember any of these, but once I say them, I think they'll spark something into you. Oh, and I man. think it can relate to an entrepreneur already. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Speak to me like an Asian man with a math complex. That was one of my oh, Speak to me like an Asian man with a math complex. And this is in regards to communication because this was during um, a training session that you held with the sales team at our startup at Dr. Base. And – I've carried that with me for years now of harking. For me, it was harking back to data and, and remember to show results. What did that mean to you when you were preaching that to us? And oh, how man, could that relate me to, a, to a doctor doing a con- – yeah, no worries, dude. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to get me in all sorts of politically correct trials. Fortunately, I'm Asian, so hopefully I can get away with saying that. I, for, number one, you're Asian. Number two, you've made a shitload of money, so you're fine. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, um, as, uh, and, 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 you know, let me first say that um, I think one of the great things about uh, where we worked is we did have such a diverse uh, workforce. And I think it, because of that, it was kind of easy to make this joke, right? Um, I mean, look, uh, here was the problem that I was trying to pierce through. I mean, we all know uh, the aphorisms about being data-driven and testing and following best practices and look at the numbers. Um, we yeah. all say that. We all say that. But I find that fewer than 5% of all businesses that say that actually put it into practice. So you as the practice owner or the, the manager or the head person in charge – you know, you'll have these great meetings and you have these great sayings and aphorisms, which are in a, essentially cliches now, right? Um, yeah. And then the meeting is over and everyone goes back and it's really just business as usual. And so what I was trying to say with, uh, you know, talk to me, I can't remember the phrase, but, you know, 
talk to me like I'm an Asian person that loves math, is to, to really congeal it to this basis form. When we're having a conversation, just give me the numbers. What are the numbers saying? And I can't tell you in how many practices, you know, I've had really, <clears throat> quite frankly, high-priced consultants like yourselves that are uh, uh, analytics-oriented. You guys will come in, look at our practices, production numbers over the past two years, and say, look, the numbers don't lie. This is what we have to do, and we have to make some pivots and some yeah. changes in the way we practice medicine. And, um, you know, some of those are hard decisions. And a lot of the time, a lot of practice owners will say, oh, my gosh, I, 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 I can't believe that this has been going on in my practice. And then the high price consultant leaves, and it's largely business as usual, right? So I think that's what I meant by yeah. that. It's, we, we all know we have to be data-driven, but how do you pierce through that and actually turn it into practice? So when we're having conversations, your office manager is saying, listen, our amount of production actually has fallen over the past 45 days, or, look, I think over the next 60 days, we're actually going to fall in terms of our production a little bit, and here's why I think that based on our last 30 days worth of numbers. When you start to have these types of conversations with your office managers or your practice management right. consultants, now you're talking about real transformative things that are going to happen after this conversation versus saying, like, well, we've got to be numbers-driven. Let's look at the numbers. and it, You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, dude, you, and, and, I, and I, I, want, I want to let the audience know. John is Asian. It was cool for him to say that. I will always protect him on that. Uh, it, but I think it's it's the other part of that is that you, as from a management style, um, you know, you didn't pussyfoot around with people. And I think sometimes people could find it intimidating, or they could find it, um, you know, uh, let, let's, how much does an entrepreneur need to uh, stomp his feet? What's what's too much? What's too little? What's your take on that? Because Running two startups that have been acquired, one that's gone public, I think your your opinion on this carries some weight. You know, that's a great question. I mean, I still wrestle with how do I become a better manager. You know, I I think you know the the one thing that um, I've been very lucky to have are really smart, passionate people working for me that could make more money somewhere else in the interim. And I think the reason why people work for me is that they genuinely know and believe that uh, I'm going to put their interests ahead of mine, right? If, if we're going to fall through some yeah. tough times, which every business does, that their welfare is going to be more important than mine, right? I am going to be the last person to eat, Um now, having said that, when the business is successful, obviously the leader eats the most, but the leader will eat last. And I think everyone knowing that, just mm -hmm. as at the core, um, really builds the foundation of, you know, anyone's leadership. So I think that's one. But two, to answer your question, there's so many styles of leadership that are effective. I mean, obviously mine, you know, is somewhat <laughs> of a upfront, abrasive one, but I think I am, um, you know, there is a great Sopranos episode where the, uh, a, a cop is talking to someone about Tony Soprano, and the cop said, you know, a lot of people think Tony Soprano is an asshole, and he is. Yeah. But I like him because I never have to guess what he's thinking. 
And so I think right. at least, you know, everyone brings pros and cons. Mine is, as you know, Tristan, is I'm very low on politics. All you have to do is ask me, and I'll always make time for you and tell you the truth. But, uh, you know, yeah. there's, there's other styles of leadership, and I was reminded of this. You know, the great Tim Duncan is uh, retiring, and his, uh, his coach, the great uh, Greg Popovich, you're a basketball fan, Tristan, in his yep. uh, ending eulogy, which I don't know if you saw, you know, um, obviously, you know, uh, Pop's coaching style is probably more like mine. Um, but Tim Duncan's leadership style is totally different. And, um, you know, uh, Coach Pop almost was brought to tears when he said, do you know what kind of leader Tim Duncan is? He's quiet, and that's how he leads. I'm not. And in the times when I really just, led into the team and let them have it and let Tim have it. Tim didn't act like a star player prima donna. He let me scream yeah. at him because that sent the message to everyone else on the team, right? And he said, Tim, thank you for your quiet leadership that let me lead, right? And so there's so many styles of leadership and supporting each other, whether you're a loud mouth like me or whether you're the quiet, strong, silent type. Uh, like Tim Duncan. Uh, so there's no one right way. I think at the end of the day, we're honest with ourselves. We're honest with our teammates and we put their needs ahead of ours. And, you know, the rest just is an extension of your personality that's unique, right? Yeah. No, and, I, and, I, and I, I've told you this before after, after Dr. Bass and even probably even during Dr. Bass, because when we, you know, shared a, a lot of time together, um, you know, I look at, you know, let's, let's, let me bring up the name because I want to get you going. Uh, rich dad, poor dad. There's people out there that are, that are representing, you know, coaches and leaders when they haven't done anything. And the one thing is that you actually have, you have uh, varied results, uh, with high success rates for what you've done and accomplished. So, you know, one of the things you used to do is say, listen to me. I, I've been there before and it helped especially during the downtime. You know, we were struggling and we were going, oh, crap, how do we get, you know, how do we scale this? How do we do this, you know, two, three times a day? You know, we, all the things we we would go through and you would, you would, you know, point us in the right direction as a captain in your way because you said, hey, look, I've been there before. Trust me. And you almost made the downtime more fun than the high time, if that makes sense. But I, I want to, <laughs> that's more me commending you, but I want to, I want to get you into, you know, the non-leaders, the, 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 like the rich dad, poor dad. This is your chance because I really want to get you going, my man. You know how I love getting you going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, selling fake, what, what do they call them? Wantrepreneurs or fake entrepreneurs? What would you say? Well, you know, there's a entrepreneur in all of us, right? And I, yeah. far be it from me to be elitist and say, you know, entrepreneurs are born and not made and one can't be one and not the other. You know, I, when I was starting Five Nine, I remember meeting this woman, Sherry. I think she had three children and just was fresh off of a divorce. And she had this crazy idea to deliver fresh, gourmet, very expensive strawberries by FedEx. And today that company, I think it's a 10 or $20 million a year business called Sherry's Berries. Who would have thought this woman, um, non-Ivy right. League, 
right? Like in that life situation would be the CEO of a multi-million dollar company on the cover of Entrepreneur or wherever I right. saw her at the airport newsstand. Um, so, you know, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me, cause let me direct you where I want you to go a little bit here. Cause there's, there's a reason why I asked you about the, the rich dad, poor dad, because in chiropractic, there is a, um, there is a history of practice management gurus and consultants similar to that gentleman we're talking about who have, you know, there's one side of the argument where you can say, I didn't implement what that instructor taught me and I felt like I got ripped off. Which, which, you know, that, that's on, that's on the observer or the, the enrollee, right? But then there is the other side of, no, I implemented, I spent $20,000 and I really got ripped off. So this is your, your chance to kind of chime in on, on how to, how a doctor or any entrepreneur can protect themselves and find the right coaches. Yeah, you know what, Tristan, that is a great question, right? I mean, if you, if you look at, for example, my my professional life, um, I have two mentors of my own. One's very kind of nurturing, and the other is very tough on me. Um, and uh-huh. without either of these mentors, uh, Mansoor Salame and Bill Kimball, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I just don't think I, I could have been successful. Um, having said that, you know, they they wouldn't ever charge me anything. Um, now. You know, I also have a therapist because uh, I just think CEOs should have a therapist because it's a very lonely job. And then I also have friends. And, <laughs> you know, um, I have people like you that I can call occasionally and I pitch my bitch about life, right? But he, yeah. here's the problem about rich dad, poor dad, and some of these what I call soft sell or soft skill consultants is if they're teaching you and charging you that you have to think differently then you can have mentors that do that for free, right? You can have a therapist that does that for far cheaper. Um, and then you have mm. friends, right? Um, now, where I see the real value in consultants is not people that kind of sell you this management hope or this turnaround hope, but folks that can train you on hard skills. And, and I think for, for medical practices, it really centers – around marketing. I mean, uh, the folks that I see get the most return on investment for their consulting buck are those that spend money on marketing consultants because the ROI is there, right? Like, okay, look, this marketing consultant charged me whatever. Let's say I'm making this number up, right? $15,000. I spent $5,000 on a website, and the marketing consultant told me to set aside $3,000 a month for marketing. So my first year outlay is, oh, my gosh, it's $56,000. But you know what? Right. If properly executed in month 18, that should be all net positive money for you, right? So imagine if I told yeah. you, look, you're not going to spend $20,000 on a, I don't know, a, a used, you know, low-brand car. Instead, look, we're going to buy an entry-level BMW, okay? But right. a year and a half from now, the bank is going to reverse itself, and it's going to start paying you, right? And this $56,000 investment is going to start giving you $20,000 a month, every month. Right. Um, and, and that's the kind of consultant investment I've seen work. 
if someone's going to come in, look at your analytics, look at your production numbers, shut down your business to train and coach and, and management consult your staff, Again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Everyone talks about these great high-level strategies. What happens when the consultant leaves and the staff disperses from the meeting? It's usually business right. as usual, right? Right. Right, and, and, and that's kind of why, you know, part of what we're doing at Kairos Sushi is we want to bring together the right minds, and everyone has a different reach to a different audience. So I think a smorgasbord of of you know, a, a different speakers, different genders, different age groups. And, you know, coming out for a five-day weekend kind of strategy session, I, you know, there's not selling any hyping. It's not a sell-a-thon. You know, I've seen that you were recently going, I think you went to a, a, a Gary V seminar uh, I saw on Facebook. What do you think about going and in, investing your money in, into those resources? Is that a smarter option because there's less of a commitment? Well, I mean, you know, you touched on this earlier, Tristan, but I, look, I mean, my secret is I'm just a master of the obvious, right? I do my research. I see yeah. what people much smarter than me are doing, and then I just, <laughs> I just copy them. Um, you know, it's not a great, uh, you know, scientific uh, uh, breakthrough to do that. And so, you know, looking at G- Gary Vaynerchuk, and I was um, fortunate to be able to uh, listen to him speak, you know, Gary says that right now, uh, Facebook video ads is the biggest kept secret for small and medium-sized business owners, including big brands as well, some big brands. Um, and Gary says, in today's social media age, whatever type of business you are, you are also a media company. And I think we saw this with medical practices, right? Whether you're a chiropractor or a dentist or an orthopedic surgeon, you often see giant swings in your annual income based on your online reviews, right? And for every doctor that says, well, online reviews don't really affect me that much, I mean, I'll show you a a three-and-a-half-star doctor because that same doctor and that same zip code that's four-and-a-half stars He's trying to keep Yelp a secret because he or she knows that thinks the world is flat, right? So, I mean, this is the thing, you know, I I think that is one of these life or entrepreneur hacks is, man, listen to what the really smart guys in these industries are saying, like today, right, um, about what's going on right now and ride that wave. And according to Gary, right. you know, these Facebook video ads are very low cost. You know, you find the right marketing consultant partner, um, and you can start really monetizing. And, and Gary said, I think, something that was really, if, if this is true, and I don't know that it is, if it's true, it is a gold mine for small businesses right now. He said 2016 for Facebook video ads was like, 2003 for Google AdWords. And if anyone was doing Google AdWords in 2003, you knew that small businesses were just printing money by advertising on Google right. AdWords because it was, it was cheap and it was so effective that if you were doing it, you didn't want your competitors to know that you could advertise on Google. 
I mean, that's how good it was. And that's what Gary yeah, says yeah. Facebook video is now. So, I mean, hey, who am I to, to disagree? If I was a practice owner people right be- now, yeah. you know, I, I find people the, that the, you... I'd find a good marketing oh, sorry, or, or, or friend, or, you know, um, and I'd start really doing some research into this. Who are some of the people that you're, you're besides like Gary Vee, is there, is there other people that you're looking at next year or currently in the last couple of months that you're like, ah, that, 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 that person really gets it. That's someone I want to follow. Is there anyone you recommend for entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, well, I think it just depends on how technical um, you want to get, right? Like if you really want to get into search engine optimization, I mean, yeah, you may want to hire a marketing consultant for this. They're going to be pretty expensive. Um, or you may want to start educating yourself by following a guy named Rand Fishkin. That's R-A-N-D. Fishkin is fish, K-I-N. And uh, talk about an SEO guru. He's who Yelp hired to do their SEO, right? So, um, you know... <laughs> You can get it from the horse's mouth through Rand Fishkin. It's going to be a bit technical, but if you hire someone, at least they know that you know. Gotcha. Um, kind of a couple questions from a from a business management perspective for you, because one of the things I always admired about you was your your way of of terminating a relationship in business. Uh, what? And you probably are going to say, well, I wasn't that good at it, but I'm going to tell you flat off, you were one of the best I've ever seen in, in deciding when uh, and how to handle it and kind of the exit strategy. What are some of your recommendations for a small business owner like a chiropractor when it comes to when, how, and, and, and the why of, of, of moving on from a uh, employee relationship? Oh, man. You know, I actually, again, learned this uh, life hack uh, just by learning what, you know, uh, great CEOs of which I'm, you know, and I'm not trying to be humble. I'm definitely not one of them. Um, Lee Scott, the former CEO of Walmart, on his way out in a, I can't remember the business magazine, but in an interview, the journalist asked him, what's your biggest regret? Now imagine Lee Scott, this guy took Walmart into one of the biggest enterprises in the history of mankind. His biggest regret was, quote, I didn't let good people that were bad for the company go sooner. And when I read that, I, and I was young, I was just starting 5'9", that always stuck with me. Like, this guy's a billionaire, right? Created a, a ginormous company, and yet that's his biggest regret, Right? And, and and that's you know when I really learned or started to that people that are bad for your business aren't necessarily bad companies, but you're going to begin to hate each other after a while because right. you guys just are bad for each other. So you know to understand that they're good people, um, but they're just not good for the company. I think it's really important. And, and things change, you know. And look in 2016. Things might have worked great, but life changes and people change. And in 2018, it may no longer be right for either party. Right. And I think when to recognize that, um, I mean, my God, if that's the regret a billionaire has, 
imagine what normal folks like you and I have if we execute that mistake, right? Yeah. One of one of the things that um, I say growing up with you because I consider it really a growing up phase for me in my in my mid twenties of working with you and learning from you. Um, one of the things what we're going to be pitching at kind of sushi is marketing, um, you know, philosophy, but really communication because communication is ultimately what's going to keep someone coming back. It's going to keep. Uh, someone from uh, from preventing them from, from getting lifelong care with a chiropractor. One of the things that we did at Doctor Base was really intensive role plays. I mean, really intensive role plays. This is where I wanted to throw you through a window sometimes. <laughs> but it was without that role play, I don't think we would have gotten and developed the strategy that we had. Speak to me a little bit about what you think doctors, office managers, front desk, what they should be doing. Uh, from a role-playing strategy on a, on a regular basis and, 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 you know, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, again, um, you know, just stealing from what you see works for, for other, you know, far more successful businesses. Um, we do live in an experience-based economy, right? Um, customers yep. do so much research now. They have it at, at I mean, really, their fingertips and their pockets. Um, and I think successful businesses, even if you're a small business, right, you're a brand. Again, going back to what Gaynor, Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, you're also a media company now. And that means that we're building experiences for people. And I, I remember when you and I were first speaking, doctors had no idea. Do you remember back in the caveman primitive days of 2000 and you know, nine, when doctors didn't know that reviews were hurting them. Do, do you remember that? Yeah. When doctors were like, I remember. So people Google my name, people Google my name and they see a two star review on Yelp coming up above my own website. I don't think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Prove it mm-hmm. to me. And to be able to establish trust, educate that customer and bring them through a brand experience that says, look, we're going to solve this together, and we are going to grab this opportunity and ride this wave together. Um, I, I, I think a lot of our conversational exercises were really about, like, let's start toning down the sales pitch, and let's start increasing the level of education that we do. And I think, um, especially yep. in fields like chiropractic, acupuncture, but hell, man, even in dentistry or in primary care where you have to kind of sell the idea on, look, you're pre-diabetic. Like, things are not going to go well for you unless you adopt some changes. Um, and certainly we know with, you know, spinal care and holistic care, that's so true, probably now more than ever. And to simply be a services-based shop in industries, sub-vertical industries like chiropractic, I don't think cuts it anymore, right? We have to educate. Then we have to build a great brand experience, right? And I think, um, right. you know, talking or having conversations with staff that gets them increasingly better at creating that experience from the moment they book an appointment online to the moment they check out and have their next appointment already booked and the patient feels good about that journey they're going on, Right. I'll end that with one last story and where I stole this from. 
uh, I would never do this as a blue collar guy, but a friend of mine uh, bought me a Burberry rain jacket, right? And it was this absurdly <laughs> expensive. It was like two thousand dollars. It was insane. Yeah. So I go into Burberry San Francisco, and they ask me, "Is this your first trench coat?" I said, oh, "That's kind of an odd question." I don't know. Uh, I said, "I, I guess." I, I don't. It's a freaking coat. I don't know. So as they're measuring you, I realize the monologue that the tailor is going into. Right? It's a blue coat, and anyone can anyone can be trained to do this. Right? Including your yeah. office manager, including your receptionist. Right? This tailor, as he was measuring me, started giving me the story of the Burberry trench coat, and he said, mm. "I ask you." if this is your first trench coat, because actually Burberry invented the trench coat almost 100 years ago. And uh, this see. jacket, your, this jacket that you're wearing was actually not that far off from the original design. This jacket was worn by British officers in World War I, where Burberry got the commission to design the jackets. You'll notice oh, wow. that as I measure your arms, there is an odd flap. And today that's fashionable. But during the time, we designed that flap for officers so that they would pull it close to their neck so that the recoil of gunpowder wouldn't burn their skin. Now imagine the brand experience. And this is all just while he's processing me and measuring me. I went from, damn it, someone brought me an overpriced jacket and now i got to get fitted for it. So by the time I walked out, I was thinking, damn, this jacket's worth $2,000, every bit of it. Yeah. And I'm, wearing a, and I'm yeah. wearing a piece of history, and I feel good about it, right? And I, I think especially with healthcare, you know, a properly trained staff can get better and better at providing these brand experiences as people come in, right? I mean, look, There's, you and I know the, fa- the famous story about Cynthia Bratasani, right, a local guest yeah. here in San Francisco, and what did she do when her patients walked in? She offered them a glass of champagne, right? Because she knew her locality. It was a very expensive, high-priced part of San Francisco. She knew her target demographic. It was women that watched Sex in the City. And she hyper-targeted her staff to create that experience. And you and I know she's killing it, and she has been for years. Consistently, consistently, dude. That's I'm so grateful to have you on because just there's so much little golden nuggets and pearls, and I I hope I hope you know I know that our our chiropractic entrepreneur audience will will appreciate it. Uh, I want to end on another last saying, great saying from John Kim that that has fueled me from our time at Doctor Base till now and will fuel me forever. Is that term was. The worst thing, and I'm actually going to make a meme for you with your picture on this because this has been something I've been waiting for for years, (laughs) was the worst thing you can do is become consistently inconsistent. And uh, I'll I'll, I'll leave that in because I think that is – I'll leave that to be your kind of ending thought. I think that's important for us as we move forward into 2017 as entrepreneurs, as chiropractic healthcare professionals, our audience, and for any, anyone listening out there that's not a chiropractic entrepreneur, the worst thing you can do is be consistently inconsistent. We see this in small business owners who 
I'll start doing Facebook. Oh, yeah, I heard John Kim talking about Gary Vee doing Facebook videos. I'll start that for a week. Ah, crap, I didn't see anything come in from that. Um, or, you know, it's just a sales team or a communication team in your office who is, you know, tries one thing one day and doesn't stick with it for a week. What are your final thoughts on one of your ultimate sayings to me that has fueled me forever being consistently inconsistent? Yeah, you know, that's a great point, Tristan. Um, look, I am, I am not saying this to be, like, fake humble, because people, you know, like, I am not a humble dude. But I am not the smartest, the sharpest tool in the shed. I, you know, I'm a product of state public education. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, obviously, grew up in a liquor store. Um, the reason I've been, quote, unquote, moderately successful is that I find a lot of people they finally see the lock and they have a key in their hand and they kind of shape this key and they filed away at it and they stick the key in the lock, they turn it and the lock doesn't open. And they say, you know what? Freak this up. I knew it wasn't going to work and they walk away. The ultimate winner, and I see this with practice owners too, are the ones that take the key out of the lock and they keep filing it in and they put it back in. They take it out, they file it, yep. and they put it back in. And how many times have we seen this with marketing campaigns, right? I've never seen a Facebook or a Google AdWords or a, t- a Twitter or a LinkedIn or a paid content campaign have immediate ROI. I mean, when have we ever seen that, right? Um, very, very know, rare. It can happen, but it's rare, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it's just such a rare bird. Um, you know, like anything, I think, you, you take the key out of the lock, you, you file it down some more, and you try to find that little sweet, you know, you jiggle the key, uh, and yeah. eventually you'll find the lock opens. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's like, why, you know, the one thing when I moved down to Southern California was I learned how to surf, dude. And and, and I look at that, I, I parallel that with content marketing and, being, and, and what you taught me about, you know, don't become consistently inconsistent because the same thing with surfing. You're looking for those waves. And sometimes you're going to catch, like, this really epic killer wave, but most of the time you're just kind of waiting out there. And it's the same thing with any type of content marketing strategy is that you will see, you know, as long as you are consistently putting content out there, um, you're going to have that lightning in the bottle moment where something, you know, I, don't, I hate using the term viral. I think that you, you and I both agree on that. That term's probably been overused by so many people, but you're going to get some really great reach on a campaign um, or something that sparks lightning in the bottle. But um, that's just been beautiful for me, dude. I love you, man, more than you'll ever know. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. I, I know our audience will be really grateful to hear the insights that you have. Hopefully we can have you on sometime again in the future and, uh, I, I want to. Uh, hey, are you doing anything? Is what's the future for John Kim? Should we direct anyone anywhere? Is there still your blog, or where would? Are you just being a hermit? Well, you know, I, I've written a couple of articles for TechCrunch, which is a um, a big tech media publication, and um, you know, I just got engaged, so uh, <laughs> I have to start planning for a wedding and whatnot. But listen, uh, Tristan, as always. Such a pleasure, my friend, to be able to converse with you. And I hope to meet some of your audience at the next Kairo Sushi event. 